0: This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Getgroup North America, the Smart
1: Choice for ID implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant 18013-5, and surpasses
0: ANVA guidelines. Learn more at getgroupna.com.
1: Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community, now celebrating our 90th anniversary. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. This week, I am very excited to bring you the first part of a two-part, very special conversation I had with recently retired Illinois Secretary of State Jesse White. The secretary just retired after 24 years in that office. That's the longest ever in Illinois, one of the longest ever in any state. At 88 years young, being Secretary of State was but one chapter of a life and career jam-packed with interesting stories and people. I was so fortunate to be able to go to Chicago. We sat down in his Chicago office. You'll hear in a moment, I turned on my equipment, and he just started telling stories. I didn't even get a chance to open the episode or introduce him. He just went, and it was amazing. You'll hear about the Civil Rights Movement, knowing Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. himself, and so much more. And I really want to thank Henry Hoppt from the secretary's office. Henry, who has been an engaged AMVA member, helped set this up, helped arrangement. And as Secretary White calls Henry, the mouth of the South in Illinois. So there's a shout out to you, Henry. Please enjoy part one of my amazing conversation with Jesse White.
0: Well, see, I was born in a town called Alton, Illinois, yeah. And Alton's across from St. Louis. And I was a Whitey Kurowski, Marty Marion, Red Shandy, Stan Musial guy. Yeah. So, so only, you grew
1: up being a Cardinals fan I, yourself?
0: I was age seven, we moved from Alton to Chicago to the North Side.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, only about three miles from here. And uh, I moved into an Italian neighborhood. We had to be able to capisce Italiano, eat mm-hmm. the with the calamari, so the bubble to be this is Italiano. So you had to speak the language well, it was important for obviously it wasn't that important, but it helped you a lot. Yeah. You learned yeah. the language. And I believe that if you could speak someone else's language, eat their food, learn their dance, learn about their culture, it makes for a good relationship.
1: Yeah, that's right. So what what, what brought the family up to Chicago from where you were? Well,
0: we lived in an area called Dogtown. It's down the lower part of of Walton, where when it would rain, you'd have to swim. <laughs> so it, was, it would flood. Mm-hmm. And so we got kind of tired of that. So we decided, so my grandmother and grandfather moved to Chicago, where they were talking about how wonderful Chicago was. And so we picked up my father and mother said, Well, we'll pick up our uh, belongings and head, head north. And so we moved into the same building water flat, high-rise building that my grandmother and grandfather lived in. And uh, we were raised there, and then I attended the Shill Elementary School, which was a couple blocks away. Later went back to teach there. And uh, then they went on to Lincoln Park High School, where mm-hmm. I played basketball, baseball. and played drums in the band and orchestra under Mr. Vonsberger.
1: So this is the late, late 40s you're, you're living in? Yeah, and so what's what's childhood like in Chicago in the in the '40s? What's what's growing up as a child in Chicago that that time like? You know, it's kind of you know post post World War II era. Was, so you know? We
0: we won public aid. Yeah, and uh, we relied on the system in order to make kids meet. Them. My father got a job working for the American Aircraft Industry, you know, working on airplanes, mm-hmm. and, and then later on he moved to the Chicago Pottery where he. Uh, Going to make sinks and bowls and uh, you name it, anything anything that dealt with porcelain. And uh, then as it turned out, there ended up being seven of us, uh, four Hmm. boys, three girls. And I served in the military, paratroop with the 101st Airborne Division. So my little brother, my youngest brother, was a pharmacist at the Lakeside VA hospital. My oldest brother was stationed in Germany. My next to the oldest brother was stationed in Korea, and I was stationed at Fort Campbell. So all four of us had a, a military experience at mm. the same time. That's amazing. So you know, we we love this country.
1: Yeah, this right. country
0: face of facing earth.
1: I think you you well you had you have multiple careers of service that I think have.
0: A- <laughs> so do uh, you see this fellow yeah. back there up top?
1: Yep. Up
0: there, the fellow his, his name is George Dunn. George is the longest serving president of the Cook County Board in the history of the County of Cook. And whenever I would go off to college or come back from college,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, he and Maxie Epstein, he was my precinct captain, a Jewish fellow, and George was Irish. And all of us got along. We didn't care about color, i mm-hmm. We just got along well. So he made sure that every time I'd come back, that I would have a job with the Park District. So I was a major PE, and I was a, I taught, taught gymnastics, and um, they went off about four years. I later graduated from college. That yet I should talk about what I did in college. I was a basketball player, baseball player, mm-hmm. and I taught gymnastics. And while I was there, Dr. King was my minister.
1: So, when uh, do you remember what year it was when you first met Dr. King?
0: It had to be. 1855,
1: I think. So this is b- before he's a national international figure. He's Th- known our, locally, well, regionally.
0: Yes, bef- It before the year before, Rosa Parks was yeah. arrested. And,
1: and so you uh, he, had the opportunity. You you know you. Yeah, I was, a, I was grew a, up with him. So should, to speak. I was a
0: pledgee for the Kappa Alpha, Alpha fraternity. and um, we were required to attend this, his church primarily because Ralph Abernathy. I don't know if you remember him. He sure. was civil rights.
1: So I'd, I'll share with you. I um I had the op- I had a fortunate opportunity when I went to American University a number of years ago. I was able to study civil rights with Julian Bond, someone I'm sure you crossed so, paths over him. the years. So yeah.
0: uh, he was in Montgomery. He lived in Montgomery. Yeah. And so, Dr. King was his friend, and he married uh, Coretta Scott King. Sure. She lived in Alabama. So they both settled in Montgomery, and he wanted us to, required the 12 scrollers as the pledgee for the cap office of his to attend this church. And uh, at church on a Thursday night, he indicated that he had been asked by the city fathers to lead the effort to desegregate the Montgomery Transit System, and he agreed to do so, but he was going to use an unviolent means approach. He said, I'm a student of Gandhi, and Gandhi was just about to bring about the independence for the Indians, for the British, and he used an unviolent-based approach. So if you can struck on one cheek, you turn so you can struck on the other cheek. I raised my hand. He said, Jesse, what can I do? I said, Dr. King, you know I'm from Chicago, and we don't operate like that. He said, oh, just, just just follow the script, and everything will yeah, be fine.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So was that a big... Uh Culture shock for you when you first moved, having grown up in Chicago, I'd imagine going from there to go to school in Alabama. That time, it, it might as well have been two different countries at that point in time.
0: You're absolutely, absolutely correct. Because the first day I was in Montgomery, I got on the bus. I was going downtown to do some shopping. I sat, I paid the driver, and I sat behind him. And the people in the back, probably about 12 to 15 bikes were sitting in the back of the Mm -hmm. bus. And they kept beckoning to me, You know, making a motion to come back to where they were. I didn't know them, so I just kind of ignored them. But they made so much of a ruckus that the bus driver turned around, and he saw me, and he said, boy, can't you read? Did you see that sign that says behind that sign? I said, I I paid you my fare your job is to drive the bus. I said, what's the problem? He said, you have to get back behind that side. No, I'm not moving. Mm-hmm. So the bus was going down next to Avenue Street. Dexter Street, Dexter Avenue Street. He was going down the hill. Down the hill, we passed a cemetery. And then off on the right-hand side, at the light, was a Texaco gas station and on the, north side of the gas station across the street was a squad car. And so as he's going down the hill, he said, I'll fix you. So he was gonna get the police officer to give me, I guess, a curbside adjustment (laughs) or something similar to that. Well, as he approached, he got off the bus and he was waving at the squad car. Someone went through the red light, the squad car went out after the fellow had gone through the red light. And he got back on the bus and he said, you're a lucky SOB. Mm. And so we got downtown, it seemed like all of us got off the bus at the same stop. These 12 to 15 people surrounded me. He said, where are you from? I said, well, I'm from Chicago. I he said, hey, you're in Alabama now. You have to obey the, the, the rules or the laws that have been set forth. Otherwise they'll beat you up, they'll lock mm. you up, and they'll throw away the key. The next time I got on the bus, I went straight to the back. <laughs> mm. So I, they had given me uh, a, a sidewalk adjustment.
1: <laughs> but here you're, you know you're a, a teenager at the time, a right? Yeah. I mean, any could you have imagined what was about to happen, the change that was about to occur, that you were there at the beginning on? I mean, it must have been unimaginable. to Think how much was going to change so quickly.
0: Yeah, I'm, my dream. Yeah. What so after I graduated from college, I came back to Chicago, and I went out to Wrigley Field.
1: Because even though you were playing baseball and basketball, well, you I was, decided to go down the baseball. Path. Yeah, when
0: I was in college, I played baseball, basketball, and taught gymnastics. Mm-hmm. And I was, I think, I hold a school scoring record in basketball. I'm only five eight and a half, but a little bit, But let me tell you. Let me go back to the beginning. After I had graduated from high school, I was scheduled to go to college, going to go to Beloit. But they looked at my transcript, I didn't have a sequence of math. So they turned me down, went college, said, we want you, no sequence of math. Northwest University, no sequence of math. Tennessee State, oh, you're too short, you're only five, eight and a half. Mm -hmm. Alabama State said, we'll take you. So I'm down in, in Alabama. And uh, as it turned out, uh, I, after, after I played basketball, baseball, taught semester and had graduated, I came back to Chicago, went out to Rickley Field, fell fellow a name of Bill Prince who had watched me through high school and had watched me through college, white fellow, liked me and he thought that I would make the Cubs. Mm-hmm. So there were about 250 ball players, I guess, they only took five, and I was one of the five. And I'm scheduled, this was in 1957. So I'm scheduled to go to spring training. Four days before going to spring training, I was drafted into the Army. So instead of going to spring training, I'm going to basic training at Fort <laughs> Leonard Wood, Missouri. Wow. While I was at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, I received a letter from my school saying I had to come back to college in order to walk across the stage to get my diploma. I had graduated, but I did not have mm-hmm. my, my degree, my diploma. So I showed the letter to my captain, and he said, yes, no problem. We'll get you into St. Louis, get you on the L&M train to Montgomery. And then uh, I didn't know what was going to happen then, but I, after I got off the plane, probably after I got off the train and walked across the stage, I was ordered to go to Maxwell Air Force Base and I was catch a flight from Maxwell Air Force Base to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio mm-hmm. and then from there they were going to fly me into Scott Air Force Base in Illinois and then from there I was going to be transported into my base by way of military uh, escort. Mm-hmm. So the plane took off my first time on an airplane and the plane almost fell apart in the sky because we got over Birmingham, Alabama, hundred miles to the north. I mean, the plane was going up and down. And so I put on the chute and I asked the crew chief to open the door because I was going to jump. First time on an airplane, first time in a parachute, wow. but I was not going to go down without exactly. a fight. So the captain of the airplane said, tell the soldier to sit down uh, we're going to go west toward Memphis, We'll around Memphis, and fly on a northeast pattern to right past the Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. And sure enough, we landed in Dayton, and the lieutenant said, Private White, your flight is ready for Scott Air Force Base in Illinois. I said, Dip. "I said, Lieutenant, I'm not ready to fly on another airplane. I've been on one. It scared the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm up to it, to another air fl- airplane flight. So as it turned out, where's the bus station? So they gave me to, to the bus station, and I took the bus back into my base. Three days later, I'm on the base, and I see this fellow with a uniform on, like the one right, right there mm-hmm. in the corner. I said, uh, Sergeant, I said, what unit are you with? He said, 101st Airborne Division. I said, what do you do?" He said, we check the airplanes. I said, well, how can a person like me become a part of a unit like yours? He said, what do you have to offer? I said, well, i have a college grad. He said, we have a lot of college grads. Mm-hmm. He said, is there anything else you do? I said, uh, I'm a professional baseball player. He said, come on, don't kid me. You're not a professional baseball player. I said, yes, I am. He said, you to be a professional baseball player. I said, well, my barracks is about three blocks away. I'll go get my contract, he said, my duffel bag. So I ran three blocks, came back, showed it to him. He jumped 10 feet. He said, oh, you got to be kidding me. Oh, my God, Lieutenant Flynn would love to have you at Fort Campbell with the mm-hmm. first Airborne Division. So as it turned out, I had uh, finished basic training, went down to Fort Campbell, and registered for jump school. So this fellow's name is Ardo Harjo, H-A-R-J-O. He was in charge of jump school. He walked over to me, put his finger in my chest, and he said, Private White, every time I see you or every time our eyes meet, you have to give me a gig. A gig is 10 push-ups. If I say give me a double gig, that means 20 push-ups. You'll do 20, and I'll do 10. I did close to a 1,000 push-ups within the two-week period of time of jump school. And so my other troopers were saying, why is he picking on you? I said, I don't know. Did you do something to him? I don't, did you say anything to him? I said, no, I was just standing in line with you guys. They walked over to me and told me, that whenever I see you, you gotta give me a gig, and if I say t- a double gig, that means 20. And if I do 20, i he's gonna have to do 10. Mm-hmm. So uh, the third week of jump school, you actually jump out airplanes, two jumps on a Monday, two on a Tuesday, and one on Wednesday, and then you have a graduation ceremony uh, that, that day on a DZ, which is a drop zone. So, after the ceremony was over, he walked over to me. He said, Private White, so you're a hell of a soldier. I would be honored if you would have dinner with me and my wife and my family at my home in Clarksville, Tennessee tonight. Mm-hmm. Tears came down my eyes. It's like the first time I had really shed any tears. I was beside myself. And so I just hoped that you would go to your cell phone and pull up this guy and you'll see what a fella he was. I think he's got about over a hundred medals for bravery and gallantry. And so after I had finished uh, by two of duty in the military. Matter of fact, while I was there, we took off with 10 aircraft to Caracas, Venezuela. Vice President Nixon was been spat upon, stoned. And so we had been ordered to come to his rescue. So we took off from Fort Camel by 10 aircraft. We got over the Gulf of Mexico, turned around and came back. First marine division had landed, we at rest. the unrest. Lieutenant said, Private White? No, he said, uh, we have been ordered to return to our base at Fort Campbell, and it's going to be a night jump, and your, normal, and your motor drops. So we had never jumped at night, mm. always during the day. Mm-hmm. And that's that's tricky. So we all jumped, the 10 aircraft all jumped, and uh, no one was hurt. Insisted I've done three night jumps, so I became acclimated to it. And so after I had finished my tour of duty, I came back to Chicago, put my uniform in the closet, got my ball band glove, and headed off to Space Arizona, to for spring training with the Chicago Cubs organization
1: Changed one uniform for the other uniform.
0: Yes, but now I tried to figure out why this fellow was picking on me. Mm-hmm. And someone heard me talk about it in this office. Here we are many, many years later. He said, he probably was picking on you because he heard that you were a professional baseball player. And he thought that I was going to be looking for some peripheral treatment. And the light came on. And I said, "That's was probably it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, was, I thought I was big stuff. Yeah, I didn't carry myself like that. I didn't act like that. Sure. I didn't say anything that would indicate that. But I think he heard that I was a baseball player. And that I was a softie. And he turned out that I had the right stuff and as a result of it, he... Uh, Asked me to join, but he and his family had his home for dinner.
1: Yeah, remember, and you remember going to that dinner? That's a, that's I can't a remember core memory. What, I can't remember
0: what I had, but <laughs> I, I was beyond myself. I was floored by yeah. it all, and yeah. I saw awards all over the place. Sure. It was just it was an outbreak experience. The family was wonderful, he was. Gracious.
1: Did you ever reconnect with him many years later or once you No, I, you know, service, so so, so
0: was, I'm yeah. telling the story. I said, well, let me look this guy, look this fellow up. And I did, and it, he passed away. And uh, I just wish I could have seen him before it happened yeah. to thank him for helping me to dig, be able to dig within myself to find out I had more going for me than I give myself credit for.
1: Sure. Which I'm sure appeared as lessons throughout your life later on.
0: Oh, yeah. And that's a prelude to what happened to me when I became, when I was running for this office. Mm-hmm. I was a precinct, I'm, I'm, my precinct captains they asked me to seriously consider running for Secretary of State. And I said, uh, no African American had ever run and had been successful in running for this, this job. Mm-hmm. They said, Well, we think you have the right stuff. I said, Well, I'm enjoying being the cook kind of record of good deeds. They said, Well, there's a bigger picture out there. We think that you can mm-hmm. get elected to the office of Secretary of State. I said, well, What is your pleasure? They said, Well, can you speak with the chairman of the party, Speaker Manigan? I said, okay, fine. I served in the general symbol because I had spent sixteen years. In the Illinois General yeah. Assembly. So you had
1: already won elections. It wasn't it Wasn't the idea of running for office wasn't a new? That's concept. right. It I, was the statewide that's office. Right. That's Was a
0: different. I ends. Served sixteen years, represent probably the most diverse district in the nation: Lincoln Park to Paul River North Street to Field, the Gold Coast, area, Beck, Mile, Cabrini Green, Ranch Triangle. The list goes mm-hmm. on and on. Eighty three percent white, probably five percent black. 10% black, five and others. And so uh, I, I walked down the street after I had to ask Speaker Bagan for a meeting. And uh, I said, uh, he said, what can I do for you, Jess? I said, Mr. Speaker, do I create a problem in my desire to run for Secretary of State? He said, well, yes, you do. I said, can you elaborate on that? He said, well, all of the people who are running for the constitutional offices are from Cook County. And we need someone from Southern Illinois or Central Illinois so that we'll be able to have a, a solid ticket so that we can mm-hmm. carry the day. I said, That sounds good. I said, Who do you have in mind? She said, About well, Penny Severance. I said, Oh, I know Penny. She's a senator from Decatur. Yes. And then I Glenn Pichard, a, a former congressman. So he said, uh, So they said, There's a fellow by the name of Tim McCarthy. I said, Well, who is Tim McCarthy? He says, Tim McCarthy is a a Secret Service agent who took a bullet for President Reagan. Mm. I don't know him, I don't trust him, and I think he's a Republican. I said, Okay, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. So I left and I came back to my twelve precinct captains. I said to them that I spoke with Speaker Madigan? and he didn't give me any satisfaction, didn't give me any encouragement, indicated he would not give me any support because he wanted someone from Sister Illinois or Sunday Law. Mm-hmm. so you have a balanced ticket. Well, they said, well, we're gonna sur- sur- circulate your petitions anyway. I said, well, you guys go right ahead and do what you have to do or want to do. I'm enjoying being the cook kind of good deeds. Two months later, they called me for a meeting. And the first thing I saw were about three stacks of petitions for me. Three stacks of petitions for penny sevens and three stacks for Tim McCarthy. He, these were copies of
2: mm-hmm, petitions.
0: Mm-hmm. They say, well, you we have enough petitions for you with room to spare. Penny Severance's petitions are flawed. Mm-hmm. I said, what do you mean? So they had about 10 to 12 people that sat around the table and they just signed names. Signed different names. on different names. petition. For, wow. from, uh, just signed said names of people from my district. Yeah. And I said, Well, what? They said, we want you to see the stack over here to the right. I said, What's on those? She said, yeah, we want you to see who circulated them. I look, Ed Burke, Tom Hines, Congressman Lipinski, and Mike Manigan. Tim McCarthy was from Cook County. And those four gentlemen were from Cook County. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. For some reason, it just didn't settle right with me mm-hmm. that you tell me that you don't want anyone from Cook County, but Tim McCarthy is from Cook County. So I asked, I called him back and asked for one more meeting. He said, "Sure." I said, "Mr. Speaker," I said, uh, "So what can I do for you, sir?" I said, "Mr. Speaker," last time I met with you, you told me that you wanted to get a you wanted to have a balanced ticket, and you didn't want anyone from Cook County, but yet you, Ed Burke, Hines, Lipinski, and yourself circulated petitions for Tim McCarthy, a Republican from Orland Park, which is in Cook County. Mm -hmm. I said, could you elaborate on that, sir? He said, I want to be able to retain control of the House. We want to gain control of the Senate. And uh, we think that Tim McCarthy would bring over to our side of the ledger, some very thinking Republicans. Mm. So if I were you, Jesse White, I would tell your friends, your appreciate captains, your supporters, not to waste their time, throw away their money, because Tim McCarthy was gonna become the next Secretary of State for the save of honor. Do you understand? I said, yes, Mr. Speaker. I said, uh, I, I understand. I said, I came to this meeting, the reason as to why I shouldn't run you give me a reason as to why I'm going to run. You have a good day, sir. Mm-hmm. And so I went back to my captains and I said, "Fellas, I'm in it to win it." And so they jumped ten feet, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they said, oh, "Great, we're with you." Yeah. And so I averaged between fourteen to sixteen events every day. I was all over the place, all over the state, and as it turned out. I won by about one hundred and fifty thousand votes mm-hmm. over Tim over Tim McCarthy. So now I, Madigan asked for a meeting with me. Sure. So he gave me a check for ten thousand dollars. I was impressed by that. And I asked him, Why are you give me ten thousand dollars for this meeting? He said, Your next opponent is going to be Al Salvi. Uh, he's a senator for Wakanda, and you're going to need some resources. I want to give you. I when he started, I okay, thank you, sir. We hugged each other, shook hands, and we've been friends ever since.
1: There's water under the bridge, and you were able to, to move that, That's
0: exactly right. He did what he thought he had to do, and I did what It wasn't I,
1: personal. He was making a political calculation.
0: That, that's right. That's he felt right.
1: wrong, but he manned up to it and we're uh, hey, friendship.
0: He and I are friends. Yeah. And I understand what he did. I don't hold on against him, but I just didn't like the idea of him lying to me, saying he wanted someone from— Outside of Cook County. Sure.
1: So this doesn't smell right.
0: <laughs> other than that, dude, dude. we're
1: back. Now that's a that's a, a leap that I want to go back from because you know we went from talking about uh, coming out of the service, going back to spring training from basic training, and then to running for Secretary of State. There's about three other careers in between there. I know you. I know you have.
0: Okay. Well, sure. <laughs> uh, one day. Every Monday night, I used to meet with President Dunn and uh, Alderman Burton, the Terrace, and Mike Siegel at the ward headquarters at 945 North State. And President Dunn, and we used to, after we meet and this is the with the problems of the people of the ward, we would eat at Eli's Restaurant mm-hmm. on Chicago Avenue. And so while we were eating, he said, to me, this is President Dunn. He's the longest-serving president of the Cook county board in the history of the county of Cook. He said, "Jess, I'd like to know if you would consider running for state representative." I said, "We have a state representative, Robert Thompson." He said, "Well, he's going to retire to Kosciusko, Michigan, and uh, we needed a replacement, and we think that you would be ideal." I said, "Mr. President, I like I enjoy knocking on doors, circulating petitions, and talking about." of the candidates of my choice. But I don't think I would do very well being an elected official. He said, well, will you think about it and let me know next week? I said, well, sure. Every weekend during the winter months, I used to drive up to Schuss Mountain in Mancelona, Michigan. I would ski. And I had done that for many, many years. On this particular occasion, there was this one hill that I was never able to negotiate. It had deep moguls and not once had ever been able to go down it successfully. Well, this particular day, I went down 12 times without falling. I said, my God, if I can handle this hill, I can certainly handle the political arena. So I came back and that Monday morning, I met with him. I called him and told him he had his candidate for mm-hmm. state representative. And he said, great. So I met him that night at the headquarters to say me Monday night would me. And I asked, I said, Mr. President, uh, what's the what's the African American percentage in the in the district? He says, oh, it's, let me say it's eighty five percent white, ten percent black, five percent others. I said that's like two strikes against me. A curveball coming up as a president. <laughs> he said you do fine. I said well, what are the communities? He said. Oh, Lincoln Park, DePaul, River North, Streeterville, the Gold Coast area, the Magnificent Mile, Streeterville, Ranch Strangle, and Cabrini Green. I said, Mr. President, I said, those are unbelievable odds. He said, you'll you do just fine. So I ran, mm-hmm. and I served for 16 years. And then the next office was Cook County Record of Deeds. I ran for that office to replace Cal Mosey Broad.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then the Secretary of State so 16 years of the state, we six as a kind of recorded needs. And thanks to the people of the state of Illinois, 24 years as Secretary of State, the yeah. longest serving Secretary of State in the history of the state of Illinois. Yep. And uh, I just want the people to know that I deeply appreciate them giving me the opportunity to serve. And I'm proud of the fact that I didn't let them down.
1: Yeah. And not, as my researcher, is not only the, the longest uh, Secretary of State in Illinois, one of the top— five or six, I think, ever in the country. Uh, well, it's. I think I'm the state. longest
0: serving Secretary of State in the history of the country. Uh, there was a fellow in Michigan who had 24 years, but he lost mm-hmm. an election, which kind of put me just a little ahead of him. So I think I may be yeah. the longest serving Secretary of State in the history of the state of Illinois, state of, in this country, I'm right. sorry.
1: Now in the Secretary of State's office, um, very broad portfolio. You know, lots of different areas that you touch, and one of the reasons I'm here, one of one of three states where the motor vehicle activities falls under the Secretary of State's office. It's it's unique. It's you know, yeah, yeah, sure. two other states.
0: So George Ryan was a previous office holder, and he later became our governor. Right, and he got himself in a little trouble with his administration, where they were accused of selling fundraising tickets, requiring employees to buy fundraising tickets, donate money to the the, the, the party. Mm-hmm. And later on, he became governor of the state of Illinois. Right. And then he eventually went to jail because of some of those activities. So when I came to the office, I out of a cloud of controversy. And so I, there was a fellow by the name of Jim Burns. Well, let me go back. George Ryan's friend, became his Inspector General. I wanted to have a bona fide Inspector General. Mm -hmm. I wanted to have someone who I considered to be the best and the brightest, one of the sharpest knives in the drawer, one who not only took on a job, but would take on the responsibility that goes with it. And I found that in Jim Burns. And so he and I sat down over dinner. I asked him to assume the position. And later on, we decided to put in place a bill that will, will require any Inspector General for the Secretary of State's office to be certified through the Senate, be confirmed by the Senate. Mm-hmm. And this way you get the real deal.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so Jim Burns is not with us, God rest his soul, but I just want to applaud him commit and thank him for his commitment to duty. He did a great job helping me. Yeah. And uh, We were the salt and pepper team. <laughs> that uh, really improve uh, the quality of the yeah. office.
1: And and so, and as you are new to the office and you're learning the topics, I'd imagine, you know, ne- ne- didn't necessarily run for secretary of state thinking, you know, about driver licensing and license plates or knowing where the state, you know, the sports license plates would lead.
0: Sure, but let, let, yeah. I, I forgot something too. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, let's go back to When I came into this office, I decided I wanted to have some fundraising events. I needed some fundraising events. So, I wanted my employees to come attend those events if they so choose, but they would not be required to buy any tickets. So, we had an event. I think we had a couple hundred of my employees to show up, and some paid and we returned the money to them and then they realized that this was the real that I was the real deal that when I said I didn't want that money I did not want that money the money that they earned I wanted to use it for their family on themselves and so the next time I had events under of the the 200 people showing up we had considerably more about 500 people so then they realized that uh, I was for real when I said that it's a new day.
2: Mm -hmm, You mm -hmm. no
0: longer have to do political work, buy fundraising tickets, or do anything that's going to be supportive of me financially. But I did want you to not only take on the job, but take on the responsibility of of the job that you have been hired for. Mm -hmm. And so with that, it propelled me into a situation by which people no longer had to stand in long lines, they would receive the kinds of services that they really needed and deserved. Mm. And we wanted to do that in a timely manner. And we're proud of the fact that right now, individuals who are senior citizens, pregnant, disabled, or veterans, they go to the head of the line. We have an appointment system whereby you can call in, you make an appointment, you don't mm-hmm. have to say in line, just go in and you could be served right away. Yeah. And so we're proud of what we've been able to accomplish within this office. And the people have shown their appreciation by electing me for six times. Yeah. And uh, with a record number of votes. Yep. Yeah. And they, they, uh, they, as I ran off into the sunset, this is my, my last rodeo, so to speak. Yeah. But I will I will continue to work with the Jesse White Tumbling Team. I've yeah. been doing that for 64 years. I can talk about that. But, yeah. But the bottom line is this. The organ donor program is probably one of the best in the country.
1: Didn't I tell you it was pretty amazing? And that's only part one. So that's the end of our first part of our conversation with the secretary. Come back next week. We'll continue our discussion and you'll hear more about his work in the secretary of state's office, especially around organ donation and approving highway safety. We'll see you back there. Thank you for joining
0: us for Amvacast. Hosted by Ian Grossman. Produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Music by Gibson Arthur. This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.